You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 2, will you? And if you didn't open your Bible a moment ago or you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's a black book in front of you. That's a pew Bible, page 1019. 1019. I'm going to be hanging out there for just the next few minutes. It's a difficult year. It's a difficult year to celebrate, isn't it? To really celebrate anything. And yet, Christmas is a season of hope. It has this irrepressible and irresistible hope that comes to it. In fact, the Christmas season has a hope that really permeates through anything that is an obstacle to it. Cincinnati Enquirer, the leading paper of the Cincinnati, Ohio area some years ago, had decided to make a decision that for one day, one day, one day, one day only, that the front page of a newspaper would have nothing but good news. Not one piece of bad news. All good news. So why did the editors of the Cincinnati paper make this decision? They made it in honor of Christmas. Christmas has this irrepressible, irresistible hope. It seeps through anything that seeks to be an obstacle to it. In fact, it was 1919 when Marxist Lenin of Russia decided to issue a command to his police force. Now watch this, those of you who are worshiping at home. He issued this command that in 1919, on the 25th of December, anybody who stayed home would get shot. Now why would he do that? Because he was threatened, this totalitarian Marxist dictator, was threatened by the message of Christmas that people throughout all times have sought to bring hope from the message of Christmas. It's an irresistible and irrepressible hope. In fact, when I think about the hope, I would call it a buoyant hope. You know what a buoyant hope would be? It's something that, think about buoyancy. You push something in the water, and then when you lift your hand off of it, it pops right to the surface again. The message of Christmas, the hope of Christmas is just that. Now, the way in which we celebrate Christmas has really changed through the years. In fact, if you were to travel back in time, in fact, we showed this to you, I think, a year ago, this little piece about the DeLorean, the time travel thing, if you brought it right back in the nativity. And I bring it back again because of my love for, the, I guess, all things back to the future and just love the thought of what if I could go back there in time. But if you could travel back in time, not through the nativity, but for the first hundred years, the early Christians for the first hundred years, would you be surprised to know that those earliest Christians did not celebrate Christmas? No, they didn't. They were more interested in celebrating what they called the festival of the resurrection rather than the festival of the nativity. They did not call it Easter. They did not call it Christmas. They called it the festival of the resurrection. They, they said, history records, that they did not really begin to celebrate Christmas in earnest until people began to deny that Jesus existed, that he denied. They denied that he existed in the flesh. And it was only then that you began to see nativity sets. So Christmas has taken on all these flavors. In fact, in the middle 1800s, around 1840s, there was a painting that went out of the royal family. Back in those days, it was Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. Albert was from Germany. And so this painting was reproduced and brought into America. The royal family, her crown was taken off, his medals were taken off. They looked like a middle-class family. 
And she had a tree, and he had a tree, and everybody had presents underneath the tree. And that's where the popularization of the Christmas tree began to seep into the American conscience. That's where we began to see presents and a child-centered holiday. You take the next layer that adds to that, and you begin to see the advent of things like Macy's and department stores, mass production, commercialization. If you and I were alive a century ago celebrating Christmas, we might give one another homemade gifts. But it was due to the commercialization, that is Madison Avenue teaching us to go out and purchase gifts. And so Christmas has taken on all these layers through the years. Well, this is a series where we're going to peel the onion back, the layers of the onion, to look at the essence of it. And I want to do so like I did a year ago by looking at the characters of Christmas. Now, some of the characters are major characters. Joseph, Mary, the angels. If Christmas were a movie, they would get you know, the, the star billing right there at the top. But some of the characters are minor characters. They get cameo appearances. And I've got two in mind today that whenever you think about Christmas, you don't think about these two. It is Simeon and it is Anna. Simeon is a man of faith and Anna is a woman of prayer. In fact, if Christmas were a movie and the credits were beginning to roll, you'd have to sit all the way in at the end of the roll of the credits before you'd see these two people's names. Today, I want you to meet in Luke chapter two, a man of faith, and a woman of prayer. Look with me first at what I'm calling learn to wait. To learn to wait. Now when you think about waiting, look at verse 25 and verse 26. The Bible says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. You know, as a young man, my first time to preach on Simeon, I called him Simon, the whole message. God help those people, bless your hearts. And this man, Simeon, was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, Simeon, and it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now move your eyes to verse 36. And there was a prophetess, a prophetess, Anna. Now that prophetess, that's really rare. Old Testament history tells us only seven women were to get the title prophetess. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. And you need to also know that she may have been married 84 years. She, she was either 84 or 105. This was an older lady. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Simeon, a man of faith, Anna, a woman of prayer, were good at waiting. How are you at waiting? How are you? Somebody says, we've got to wait. I think about waiting for a bus to pick me up in a mission trip in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And we were forming a line, if that's what you could call it in an Asian country. There was a short little lady behind me. You know, when you're 6'4", everybody's short. And she had one of those airport carts that she was pushing up in my calf repeatedly over and over again. And I thought, if that dude over there didn't have a machine gun, I would pulverize you, woman. How are you at waiting? I, didn't, I wasn't high on the fruit of the Spirit that day. You know, there's, there's all kinds of waiting. There's waiting on your wife. Can I get a witness? There, there's waiting to graduate. There's waiting to get a driver's license. There's even the kind of waiting where you wait on a plane to come in in a long layover in an airport. 
There's waiting for your father to get home. I remember that kind of waiting from time to time. Mom would threaten that. And there's that kind of more serious waiting for when you're in a hospital and you're waiting on a doctor or a medical professional to come out and give you news of your loved one. But there's the waiting for Christmas. Now, this kind of waiting is a little different. In fact, I told Tracy this past week over Thanksgiving, we were watching Frosty the Snowman, the 1969 production. And I said to her, you know, I love these because it reminds me when I was a kid, when you saw this come on the TV schedule, you knew Christmas was at hand. And when Christmas was at hand, that meant there was presents under the tree that had my name on it. There's an anticipatory kind of waiting on Christmas. But you know, for Simeon and Anna, it's not that way. When they waited for the first Christmas, they were in a period of time that was 400 years. 400 years they'd been waiting, the people of God. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, between the book of Malachi, the last book in your Old Testament, and Matthew, the first book in your New Testament, 400 years go by. That's a long time to wait. Now, when we talk about waiting like that, remember, they were used to a prophet. God would send a man, and he would begin to speak, and it happened like clockwork over and over again. But then God pressed the pause button for 400 years. So their waiting is a long kind of waiting. It's not a waiting with expectation like I had as a kid. It's the dread of waiting as if this is ever going to be over with. This is the kind of waiting that goes on. And yet, they had something to wait for. That's critical. They had something to wait for. In fact, you could say it this way. They had someone to wait for. Imagine if you come to the parking lot of Coles this upcoming week, and you find that I'm in the car. I've got probably my phone in my hand. I'm checking some sort of news app. And you knock on the window and you say, hey, Scott, how you doing? What are you doing? You expect probably Tracy's in the department store and I'm waiting on her, wouldn't you? But what if I said to you, oh, nothing. I just come up here on free afternoons, just wait in the Coles parking lot for fun. <laughs> Anybody do that? Do you find that people go to the Dallas-Fort Worth airport and just sit in the terminal or love field, just wait, stare at the departure and arrivals? No, people like that need a special kind of jacket with a zipper up the back. Nobody... Nobody waits with no purpose. Now, Simeon, Simeon waited with a purpose. He waited for someone. What do I mean by that? Everybody, these Jewish people, like Simeon and Anna, they were devout. They were Jewish. They were people of faith, people of the book. They knew what they were waiting for. They knew that their Bible, the Old Testament, had predicted there was one who was coming, a Messiah. There was one who was coming, and this Messiah was on his way. You can think of it this way. You've probably ordered Cyber Monday a Monday ago. Cyber Monday, you've probably ordered some sort of package from a, somewhere, and you know exactly, the barcode tells you exactly where it is. You know when it goes to Tokyo and when it goes to Des Moines, Iowa. You know when it gets into Dallas-Fort Worth, and it's in the truck on its way there. Think of these messianic predictions that Simeon and Anna were reading. They were looking at these predictions of the Old Testament, and they were tracking it like a barcode. They were waiting on their package to arrive, only this wasn't something, this was someone. Let me give you an example of this. In the book of Isaiah, it's one of the fattest books in your Old Testament, 
Isaiah makes 111 predictions. I'm going to give you but two. He makes 111 predictions about the upcoming Messiah. The first prediction you'll notice in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. This is a familiar one. Behold, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then in chapter 9, you see a second prediction. Again, more than 111, Isaiah was written 100, 700 years before the time of Jesus. For unto us a child is born. You know this one. Handel's Messiah is based on this. For unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now we have, we have documented proof in the caves of Qumran that this was in existence seven centuries before Jesus appeared, before the star was in the sky, before the angels were singing, before the shepherds were making their way, and before a baby was in a manger, Isaiah made these predictions. This was a tracking code. Simeon would go to the temple because the Spirit of God told him, you've got someone to wait for. Husbands don't go to Cole's parking lot and wait willy-nilly. Nobody's crazy and goes to the airport, sits there and looks at the departure and arrivals. Simeon and Anna had someone to wait for. In fact, you can think of it this way. When a criminal does something and there's no video or no picture of the criminal, then witnesses are brought in and the sketch artist is brought in. And they'll sketch up the width of the eyes, the shape of the eyes, the shape of the nose, the color of the skin, all those kind of things. Simeon and Anna are running around with a sketch artist rendering. The reason they had this kind of expectation, this irrepressible, irresistible hope, was they were reading their Bibles. And as they were reading the Bibles, Simeon went to the temple because the Spirit of God told him, you're going to see, did you see it? Was it verse 25? The consolation of Israel. Everybody was doing this in the day. Every good Israelite was doing it. In fact, I had thought of this in a number of years. Over in John chapter 4, it's a later story. Jesus has now grown up. He's the adult Jesus, not the baby Jesus. He's the adult Jesus. And Jesus meets the woman of the well. Do you remember this story, the woman of the well? The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us she'd been married five times. Five times that she was living with a man. Do you realize that the woman who's been married five times and living with a man in addition to those five, probably not the most religiously sensitive woman in the town. Would that be offending if I said that? Probably not the most religiously sensitive woman in the town. Zsa Zsa Gabor said this about marriage. She said, I love this. A girl must marry for love and keep on marrying until she finds it. All right. So look what, what, look what, uh, the, the ancient Zsa said when she met Jesus. She said in verse 29 of John 4, come meet a man who's told me everything I've done. Could this be the Christ? That's what she asked her village. She says, guys, gather around. Could this be the Christ? What is she asking? Could this be the Messiah? Christ is Greek. Messiah is Hebrew. They're all looking for the Messiah. They're waiting. They're taking the Bible seriously. Only Simeon goes to the temple every day. And he's watching and waiting and seeing if God has brought that child there. By the way, what does it mean to wait on God? What does it mean to wait on God? These two were waiting on God. What does it mean to wait on God? Does it mean to sit and do nothing? I have a beautiful daughter who's a waitress. I have a good-looking son that is a 
fast food worker. I bet if you were to corner those two and say, uh, waiting and waitressing, you didn't do anything, right? You just sit and do nothing. I think they would tell you something different. You see, to wait on someone when you bring food and you bring water and you take care of their needs, it's a very active thing, isn't it? What are you doing when you're waiting? You're saying, essentially, your wish is my command. I'm here to serve your needs. And when you wait on God, it's not as if you just sit and do nothing. You're active. But you're waiting on him, and as you're waiting, you're saying to him, your wish is my command. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to do what you tell me to do. You know when you wait, you know what you should be saying? I'm totally, I'm totally dependent on you, God. Not a bad thing to say, by the way, even this morning. I'm totally dependent on you. I am helpless and hopeless without you. So great. If you want to repeat something every day, I'm helpless and I'm hopeless without you. And I'm waiting on you. Make good on your promises. That's what Simeon was doing. That's what Anna was doing. They were saying, I'm waiting on God to make good on his promises. But you know what I love about this couple? Of course, they meant man and wife, but what I love about this couple is they took the Bible seriously enough. He did, especially, to go to the temple. He expected to see what was promised in here to come true. Now, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. If the Bible told you, let me ask you a question. I ask you to be honest now. If the Bible told you to go to the desert, the Sahara Desert, on the 4th of July, because the Bible says there's going to be snow there, do you show up with a parka or do you wait for somebody else to tell you? Be honest now. Reminds me of the couple that had been married for a number of years. She had put on a little bit of weight. She looks at her husband and she says, this new dress, does it make me look fat? He looks back and he says, does this t-shirt make me look stupid? Be honest with me now. Be honest. Do you take the Bible seriously enough that when God said something, you would do what Simeon would do, which is show up in the temple? See, he's waiting on God and he takes the word of God seriously. Now, the Bible's not teaching us to stay in one place at one time, but I love the fact that Simeon, he says, God, I expect you to deliver on your promises. You're going to make good. You're going to, when you've written it down, I know it's more true than what I see at five o'clock and what I see on social media. You and I need to learn to wait. Secondly, we need to expect his arrival. We need to expect his arrival. And what does that look like? Well, back in our text, back in our story now, We've got Mary and Joseph. They're our major stars. We'll look at them in future studies. And they, of course, bring Jesus. Now, what Luke does here, Luke is an expert historian. Luke is a doctor. He's a physician. He's one of the only non-Jews to have his book included in the New Testament. So he's collapsing for us several days and several events. In fact, they bring, Mary and Joseph, they bring the child for circumcision. Jesus would have been eight days old when that would have happened. And then Mary and Joseph, they would have been in, a, in an Old Testament way, uh, unceremonially or ceremonially unclean. So on day 40, they come in to get clean in the temple, which is a whole ritual type thing. So day eight and day 40, they're collapsing these two together. And here, here, Mary and Joseph bring the baby Jesus in their arms. Let me ask you a question as you read this story. Simeon and Anna, how do they know 
How'd they know when Jesus walked in the temple? How'd they know? I mean, the shepherds, the shepherds, the angels told them, and the wise men had a star. These two have no star, and they have no shepherds. They have no angels to tell them. Something remarkable here is happening. And you see one more time the irrepressible hope, the buoyant hope of the message of Christmas comes through. A moment ago I told you about Marxist Vladimir Lenin. Blows my mind that Marxism and socialism is becoming popular again in our day. I told you back of a command he did in 1919, but he wasn't the only totalitarian dictator to be threatened by Christmas, including Nazi Adolf Hitler. Hitler even went so far, the Nazis did, to change some of our favorite Christmas carols. See if you can spot the difference in the Nazi version of Silent Night and the one that you might have sung in the years gone past. You ready? Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright. So good so far. Adolf Hitler is Germany's star, <laughs> showing us greatness, glory afar, bringing us Germans the might, end quote. See, the message of Christmas is irresistible and it's irrepressible. Rather than trying to shoot people like Lenin, Hitler decided to twist the message and he wanted to move the baby Jesus out and put himself in that manger. In fact, in 1969 in the country of Cuba, it was there that Fidel Castro outlawed Christmas. One individual remembered those days before he made Christmas legal again in 1997. They said the only two words that they remember that were bad words in Cuba was human rights and Christmas. Why do these dictators get threatened by this? And there's a reason. In hard times, even like 2020, we go to the warmth, the hope of the hearth of Christmas to get the warmth and encouragement again. And back here in our story in Luke chapter 2, look what happens. Simeon and Anna, no star in the sky tells them, no angels come along, and yet they know. It's as if they heard a dog whistle. You know what a dog whistle is, right? When a whistle at a certain pitch, the dogs know. It's like these fireworks go off inside these two. And when these fireworks go off, they just know. How did they know? Well, the Spirit of God told them. And they had developed... They had developed their spiritual sight, their spiritual sight. Now, you know, I don't know if you know this, but spiritual sight is at once a gift and it's a skill. It's a gift and a skill. What do I mean by it's a gift? Well, first, you must be born again to be given spiritual sight. The Bible says without Jesus Christ inside of you, you are blind, spiritually blind. You just don't see. In fact, this happened to a man named Dave. Dave was born again. He came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior. A man who's now in his 60s, late 60s, came to know the Lord at 54 years of age. He, like Simeon and Anna, read the Old Testament, these predictions I've been telling you about. He began to see, having grown up in a Jewish house, how all these predictions, like little streams, little rivers, little streams, came together and found their way to Jesus. And so he embraced the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. By the way, you may know Dave. He's the general manager for the New York football giants. He embraced Christ by faith several decades ago. Today, that's what you need. If you wanna have spiritual sight, if you wanna have the spiritual sight that Anna and Simeon have, 
and see spiritually what's going on. You, you have to be more than just being born. The Bible says at your birth, you're spiritually blind. And when the Lord Jesus Christ comes into you, the Spirit of God comes in, resides, and you have spiritual sight. But it's a gift, but it's a skill. It's a skill. It's a skill that you must hone. Some of you have shot a pistol or a rifle of some sort. My dad was a big uh, gun collector, and he would take me out. And you would think that shooting, just line the sight up, put it on the target, you're going to hit it. That doesn't work that way, does it? Right? It takes some skill. It takes some practice. And that's exactly where Simeon and Anna were. They had practiced their spiritual sight. They had developed and honed the skill. So what happened was, even though there was no star in the sky, and even though there was no angels to tell them, there was this dog whistle of sorts. There was this fireworks that went off inside these two. When Joseph and Mary walk in at day 40, I take it, they just knew. The Spirit of God tapped Simeon on the shoulder and said, hey, hey, you remember your bucket list? You remember the promise that I made to you before you die that you're going to see that child? Well, he's walking in just a few feet ahead of you. What an incredible thing that would have been. The Bible says that this spiritual sight is by faith. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, if you're looking for a great way to memorize a verse, now faith is the assurance of things what? Hope for the conviction set like you're awake this morning, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is like seeing in the dark. There's a way to see that doesn't use your eyes. And you can develop that skill. You have to hone in on it. First of all, you have to be just like Simeon and just like Anna. You have to take God's word seriously. What does that look like? Well, it looks more than this, just when your mom or your dad or your youth pastor tells you to read the book. Or, oh, by the way, I'm coming to the church, I better find my Bible. These folks were serious about it. Let's look at Anna. Notice what the Bible says here. She is, look at this, she's a widow, the Bible says. Verse 36, she was married for seven years, lived either 84 more years, or was married 84 years. And the Bible says, like I would say to you, you live at work. She lived in the temple. She fasted and prayed, prayed and fasted. She was devout. She was serious about the Lord. And I love what happens in verse 38. At that moment, Coming up at that very hour, quoting verse 38 now, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him. Who's him? Jesus. To all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Not a word was told to Anna. She just knew. She just knew that the Son of God had entered into the complex of the temple. Then look at Simeon in verse 28, the end of that. I love this. Simeon. Evidently, Mary offered the baby Jesus over to him. He said, look at this, he took him up in his arms and blessed God, praise God, and said this, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I love those words. What does that mean? Well, it's, it's Simeon's bucket list. If I said to you, I came by your house, your apartment, your condo later today, I said, hey, what's on your bucket list? You said, well, I want to go travel. I want to see the Northwest. I want to see the Northeast. I want to go to New York City. I want to go to the Empire State Building. Simeon's bucket list was to see Jesus. I like that. I like that kind of bucket list. When you make a bucket list, 
When you make that what am I going to accomplish before I die list, why don't you put some spiritual things on there? Listen and carefully pay attention to our friend Simeon. In fact, what he says next, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. He's got Jesus in his arms. What is salvation? Many of you think salvation is a Home Depot project. It's a do-it-yourself project. Salvation is Jesus. He does the saving. He does the dying. He does the rising. It gets transferred to your account. You don't do the saving. You don't do the dying. You don't do the rising. You think you can save yourself. Well, what did God have in mind when he sent his son to die for you? Was that just needless? Does God, is he so stupid that he would send his son to go through that kind of pain when you can save yourself all by yourself? No. Simeon says, I've seen your salvation. You need Jesus Christ. I love his bucket list. I love the way this man, this devout way in which he goes about it. Here's a man who is led by the Spirit of God, taught by the Word of God, and obedient to the will of God. Hey, everybody put their face right here. We need more Simeons, and we need more Annas in this world today. We need more Simeons, and we need more Annas in this day. Because Simeon took a hold of that baby and said, that's the one. That's the consolation of Israel. That's the Holy One. And then when he had that baby in his arms, he said, now, Lord, now I'm ready. He didn't say when my grandchildren graduate college or when I get these kids. He said, now, Lord, I am ready. I can now depart in peace, Father, because you have spoken to me. See, they took the Bible seriously. They knew that Jesus was the faithful seed of Abraham. They put the puzzle pieces together. They'd seen the sketch artists. They tracked the UPS barcode, if you will. All of it had come together. The Messiah had been born. God had acted, and they waited with expectation. You know, there's waiting, and there's waiting with expectation. There's waiting, and there's waiting with expectation. I love my wife. Been married to her for 25 years but she can take one shopping trip that should take two minutes. You know what's coming next. You don't need me to say it. In there for 20 minutes. I love my boys when they're in the back seat with me waiting on her. What is she doing? I see them where I was like two seconds before, no, 10 years ago. Sometimes when you're waiting on your wife, you're not waiting with expectation. You're highly tempted to just drive away. But that wouldn't be good. That wouldn't be good. I've worked through that mentally. There's waiting with expectation. <laughs> There's waiting for Christmas, like I told you as a child, and that frosted snowman. There's an expectation, anticipation. You're expecting God to move. Church family, these are difficult times, hard times. Are you just waiting in a parking lot for nothing to happen? Are you just waiting, like on January 1st, for Christmas to come? when it's 300 plus days away? Or are you waiting with the expectation that God is going to move? Do you have an equal confidence in the Word of God? And you say, I know the Lord's moving. Because with God, we have an irrepressible, irresistible hope. His name is Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.